Does it really make any difference what we believe about the creation account in the Bible? Does it really hurt if we compromise that? Or isn't the gospel the most important thing we should be doing as Christians, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I want to welcome you to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, the founder and president of Creation Training Initiative. And here with me today, I have a very special guest, Dr. Terry Mortensen. Well, welcome, Terry, and thank you for coming on our show. Good to be here, Mike. Now, could you tell me a little bit about your background? I called you Dr. Terry Morton, and that is correct, isn't it, because you earned that degree. Could you yep. tell me something about your background in education? <clears throat> well, I, uh, I have a, um, uh, a math degree from the University of Minnesota. Now, I didn't know that, math yeah, degree. Yeah, and that's good. I can't solve a, a calculus problem today if you held a gun to my head. But it, it really trained me to be uh, careful about the details and to be really uh, careful in my logic. So it's that not was like, helpful. It's not like modern math. If you just get close, you're <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. right. Uh, and then after I graduated, I joined, <clears throat> I, I joined the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ and, and served with them for 26 years, uh, serving most of that time in Eastern Europe. And, um, and then I, about halfway through that time, I went to seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and I got a, a Master's of Divinity. And then right from there, uh, went back to Europe and did my PhD in the history of geology. I always want to make clear that I'm not a geologist. I'm a historian of geology. And I, I studied the early uh, 19th century period when the idea of millions of years was developed. And you got written a book on this, haven't you? Yeah, uh, the book, uh, the, the Great Turning Point, uh, The Church's Catastrophic Mistake, on geology before Darwin, which is a shortened version of my PhD thesis. Shortened version? I thought it was a thick enough book myself. Yeah. <laughs> I like thin books. But there's another book. It's one of my favorite books, and I, I call it a great book for, for scholars when we look at it. And it's called Coming to Grips with Genesis. And you had a part in that. Tell me about that. Yeah. One. Well, um, I was uh, one of the two co-editors, and uh, we, we gathered together uh, 12 other scholars to write on different uh, aspects of this issue, uh, defending the young earth view biblically and historically. We don't deal with the science there, but, but really going in depth. And we wanted the book to be uh, a book that could be used as a textbook in seminary courses, Christian college courses. Um, but I worked real hard with the, um, with the authors to, uh, to get their, their language and their sentence structure down to a level where uh, a thoughtful layperson could read it and, and really get the arguments. And I'm one of those people. Yeah. Well, I, I think it is one of the best scholarly books out there for the layperson I've seen anywhere on the days of creation and how to defend it. Now, if they wanted to get hold of that book, how could they do that? Uh, they could just go to the Answers in Genesis website, uh, which is uh, AnswersInGenesis.org, and we have a store there, and you can find both the, the Great Turning Point and Coming to Grips with Genesis. So if they, I highly recommend that book. If you really want to get serious about defending the days of creation, that they were literal days, that is the book to get, Coming to Grips with Genesis. You can get it on the Answers in Genesis website, AnswersInGenesis.org. Well, Terry, it seems we're in a bit of a mess today, almost like a crisis in Christianity. Sounds like a book, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but um, I usually put the blame, and I notice you've talked about this too. Is there something wrong with our Christian colleges? Um, I think there's a huge problem with our Christian colleges and our, our seminaries. Uh, most, uh, from my reading, my time in seminary, uh, my involvement in the Evangelical Theological Society, and... Uh, and correspondence and interaction with, with uh, a lot of uh, academics, 
Um, I find that most of them have not studied this issue. Uh, they, they aren't aware of the creationist arguments, scientific or biblical, and most of them think this really doesn't matter. And in the process, they're, they're teaching that to the students. They're, they're either by ignoring the issue uh, or actually teaching various compromise views like the day-age theory or the gap theory or the framework hypothesis, and they're, they're leading a lot of young people away. And I've heard from the statistics, and I've seen the statistics, that a great percentage of our youth are leaving the church today. It's, what, around close to 70% leaving yeah, the and, church? Yeah, depending on denomination, anywhere from 60 to 80%. And the reason is that they're not being trained anywhere, are they? Right. And most pastors uh, don't know how to deal with this issue because they went to the seminaries or the Bible <laughs> colleges where their professors didn't know how to deal with it or avoided it. And so... Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people, a lot of young people are not equipped. So if I had to summarize that, our college universities are not doing their job, are they? That, not at the Christian schools. Now, they're being academic in a lot of areas, aren't they? Yeah. But oh, yeah. academics isn't the whole picture. We're in a war, aren't we? That's right. It's That's a spiritual right. war, but we're in a war. Yep. It's a war of ideas. It's a war of worldviews. Yes. And if you don't know any, you're in a war, you're going to lose, aren't you? That's right. And if you don't have a training ground for your troops, yeah. you're going to lose. Yeah. Or if you go out in the battle and you don't have any uh, weapons, yes. uh, you're going to get slaughtered. And we, we were always thinking our Christian universities, that was our training ground for, for preparing our next generation, but it doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah. And is there any way we can change that, you think? It's well, going to take time. I, I, I think... You know, I'm, I'm involved in Answers in Genesis, and uh, I'm kind of doing my little part to, to fight that, that problem on both ends. I'm out speaking in churches, uh, equipping young people, uh, grade school kids, high school kids, uh, adults, with uh, answers so that they can defend their faith, so that they believe Genesis. And, uh, and yet I'm also involved in the Evangelical Theological Society, worked on that book, and uh, also involved in a, uh, a project to take Christian scholars down the Colorado River through Grand Canyon. And we're doing our seventh trip this year. Um, and so trying to influence people at both ends of the spectrum to really understand this issue and that it, it is a gospel issue. Uh, it's an authority of the Bible issue, and the church can't ignore this. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that scholars trip. I've known you've done that for a while there. Now, what does it cost somebody to go on that trip? Well, it doesn't cost them very much. Okay. Uh, it's, all... it's by invitation only. Okay. And uh, we invite uh, Old Testament uh, uh, theology professors, some New Testament, and uh, professors of apologetics or archaeology. And uh, they have to pay $385 and get themselves to and from Las Vegas, where the trip begins. And then uh, we scholarship them the rest of the way. We, we trust the Lord to raise about $75,000 so because we we realize that most of these professors don't have the kind of income that they could afford to do a trip like that and they might be not so inclined to do that trip we invite people who are old earth people who are on the fence about the age of the earth and and people who are who are young earthers and um, and so we want to we want to make it as easy as possible for them to to make that trip this would be an opportunity for a good scholar to finally learn the, the real evidence that, right. they're, that they're not learning anywhere because most of us see following what they're following are the people who are already compromised 
or the evolutionists themselves because they have science degrees. That's exactly right. And we have on our team, uh, it's led by Tom Vale, who has done uh, for over 30 years, has done raft trips down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. Um, and then we have two geologists, Dr. Uh, Andrew Snelling from Answers in Genesis, who's done geological work on four continents. And, um, and then we have Dr. John Whitmore from Cedarville University, professor of geology there. And then Dr. Bill Barrick, who is an Old Testament professor at the Master Seminary. And then I, I do some of the biblical and the historical teaching. So we have uh, teaching times in the morning and the evening when we're on, the, on our, our campsite along the river. And then uh, at different stops along the river during the day. Lots of time for discussion. And we, we encourage the men, you know, we want you to ask every question or objection you can think of. We're going to present the Young Earth view, but we want you to, to ask your question. So, I've been on a, a whitewatering rafting trip down the Colorado River, and the food is great, isn't it? Uh, it's it's uh, first class. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. The food was great. But you said you rely on the Lord a lot for, for the monies to come in. Um, let's just, how, would they, how could somebody donate to that right now to help get scholars for the first time in their life to get the truth and be able to take that truth back to their own communities and teach it? Uh, they could just... Uh, write to Answers in Genesis and say, uh, I want this money designated for the Christian Leaders Grand Canyon trip. Excellent. And uh, that, would, that would be a great help. Sure. We're, we're kind of, the Lord has provided, we've, we've never been in the red at the end of a trip, but we've just barely, the Lord has just barely provided. And it's, uh, we want to keep doing these, but um, it's, we, we just need to find uh, some people that will really commit to say, we are committed to this project, we're with you. Excellent. So you're one of the few people I know trying to get to the scholars level. Not many people can do that, because but you understand them. You, you're, yep. you're one of them. Yeah. Okay, so the colleges are, are one avenue that we're fighting to, to redeem back. What about the churches? They got themselves into a mess, it seems. How did that happen? Well, um, Mike, we have to really go back about 200 years because prior to the 19th century, virtually the whole church believed that God created in six days and about 6,000 years ago and destroyed the world with a global flood. You can find a few odd individuals who weren't sure about that or maybe they treated each of the days as 1,000 years, but nobody believed in millions of years and uh, they didn't believe in a local flood in, in the Middle East. But it was about 200 years ago that uh, atheists and deists and, and other unbelieving uh, men who were helping to develop the science of geology began to, uh, they, they rejected the Bible's history and they began to develop theories of earth history that were very different from what the Bible says. And uh, they, they imagined millions of years for the formation of these rock layers. And the sad thing is, that there were Christians who were also becoming interested in the rocks who were absorbing or, or reasoning in the same way as these non-believing men. And um, they, they said, there's no conflict between uh, what geology is discovering and what the Bible says. And I read many of their writings, uh, men like uh, William Buckland at Oxford University and Adam Sedgwick at Cambridge University in England, and they were both ordained Anglican clergymen. And there were other uh, geologists who were also ordained. 
And they said there's no conflict. But I read their writings, and they never carefully paid attention to the biblical text. So, you know, you can say the flood couldn't cause the, the, the rock layers that we see uh, because it, it wasn't a very violent event if you don't pay attention to what the Bible says. Uh, so um, the sad thing is that much of the church quickly accepted what those geologists were saying and reinterpreted the Bible. So the day-age view, the gap theory, the local flood view. So right off the bat, the, their, their worldview in that area was not the Bible. It was based on man's opinion versus the Bible. We see right. that a lot today, don't we? Oh, we do. And, you know, science in the last 200 years has really become the queen of knowledge. Used to be scripture and theology, but... Uh, in the last 200 years, you know, it's kind of the, the principle is if you can't prove something scientifically, it's just an opinion. And the scientists are the new priests of our culture. Whatever happened to that uh, verse in the Bible, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yeah. We and, seem to have forgotten that, that God does command us to have faith. Yep. But and, we have faith with good evidence, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. And God's word is true. So and, it goes back again to the training grounds. Where are our people getting trained with the truth? And it's yeah. not happening a lot in the universities. Yeah, it's not. And so that's why we're going out into the churches. Uh, we'll probably do Answers in Genesis. We'll probably do about 300 seminars this year. And there are others. Uh, you're doing a lot uh, in this area. But there are others who are also out speaking and seeking to equip the church with answers to know why they can believe uh, Genesis right from the very first verse. It means what it says. But at the same time, there's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing going out there speaking, aren't there? There are. And uh, we have to deal with uh, all kinds of false ideas. I used to tell people, for every church we get in a community, there's about a dozen churches that would never invite us in, in the same area. And it, it probably the, the percentage would be even higher if we're talking about getting into Christian colleges or seminaries. So that leads me to another area. Is it really, is it really important about this? Does it really matter if Adam was a real person and, and the fall really happened like it said in the Bible? Does that really affect what we know about the gospel? Uh, it is absolutely foundational. Because uh, Jesus, if we look at in the Gospels, every, every time Jesus referred to the early chapters of Genesis, he took it as straightforward history. Uh, every time the apostles in the New Testament refer to the early chapters of Genesis, they take it as straightforward history. And Paul uh, built his, his whole teaching on the Gospel on the basis of the truths of Genesis. He said, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and, and so death spread to all men. He calls Adam the first Adam, and he calls Jesus the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. And so uh, if we start messing around with the early chapters of Genesis and say, well, that's, uh, that's you know, figurative poetry, that's some kind of symbolic story, then, then the gospel is built on quicksand. And Paul and Jesus were, were teaching air. They were teaching people that this is straightforward history when, in fact, it's not. So the, the very integrity and truthfulness of, of our Savior is at stake and, and the gospel. Now, you've written a paper on this, and I really liked it. It was about uh, Mark 10, verse 6. Could you tell us about what, what takes place there? Well, in uh, Mark 10, Jesus was asked a question about divorce by the Pharisees. And uh, in his answer, well, the, the Pharisees said, Moses permitted us to divorce our wives. What do you say, Jesus? And in his answer, he said, 
uh, well, Moses permitted you because of the hardness of your heart. But it wasn't that way. And he says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And then he quoted from Genesis 1 and 2. So he's obviously talking about Adam and Eve. And he says, the, the, the key phrase there is, from the beginning of creation, he made them male and female. And I did a whole chapter on Jesus' view about the age of the earth in coming to grips with Genesis and, uh, and, and gave my biblical reasons for concluding that what Jesus was implying in that verse, his worldview, is that Adam and Eve were at the beginning of creation, not billions of years after the beginning as you would have if the Big Bang is true. So in other words, if we're adding millions of years into the Bible, we're saying Jesus didn't know what he was saying? He right. got it wrong? Or... Or, as some try to argue, well, he knew the truth, but he was just accommodating the wrong beliefs of his day to, to get his, his ideas across. But what kind of a teacher would use false ideas to teach truth? Not, not the one who said, I am the truth. And we got a lot of compromise out there, a lot of churches. So. Yeah. Now, if you were to run across somebody who has a compromised view, and I run across a lot of these, and I need to find out, first of all, why are they compromised? Because a lot of people, they've never studied this and they're in position. Nobody's ever taught them. And maybe they learn this in their own church and they're just kind of going along with it. Other people are very adamant about it because their worldview is not the Bible. Could you give us just three or four things you would confront somebody who's compromised on this issue of creation? How would you approach them? Well, uh, I think the first thing I would, I would address is the issue of millions of years. Because... Uh, Darwin's theory of evolution, or any other evolutionary theory, is dead in the water if they don't have the millions of years. In fact, Darwin took the ideas that the geologists, the secular geologists were developing, and he just applied those same ideas to biology. So slow, gradual uh, geological change, slow, gradual biological change. Um, and so one of the key points that I have found a lot of Christians, including most of our seminary and Christian college professors, have not thought about is the fact that um, if you accept the millions of years, you're accepting millions of years of death and bloodshed and violence and disease and extinction. Uh, the evolutionists say there are five major mass extinction events uh, represented in the fossil record. And uh, we find evidence of dinosaur cancer and dinosaur bones. We find thorns and thistles and rocks that are supposedly three to four hundred million years old. If, if that's really true, then you had all of that death and what philosophers call natural evil before Adam was created and before he fell and before God judged the creation. And that just destroys what the Bible says about the original creation being very good in Genesis 1 what it says about the curse on the creation in Genesis 3, and what it says about the future redemptive work of Christ when he comes to create a new heavens and a new earth. I mean, if God looked at that fossil record and saw all that death and disease and suffering, and he said, well, that's very good, uh, then how can we trust what he says about the future when he says there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and no more crying, no more pain? It just it doesn't make any sense. And so... We cannot accept the millions of years without destroying the Bible's teaching about death. So two things there. If we have millions of years, that is a clear teaching of death and decay before sin. Then, as you just brought out, Genesis 1.31, God called all that very good. 
And that would mean, as you just said there, he called cancer very good. Yeah. We have a real problem now. So not only are we undermining the Bible's teaching about death, we, the acceptance of millions of years is it's not intended by people, but it, it ends up being an assault on the very character of God. Yes. And so that's serious. Yes. What about the people who say, just preach Jesus? Well, I would say, uh, if Jesus believed Genesis, then I better believe Genesis if I'm going to call him my Lord. Uh, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is based on the literal history in Genesis. And we introduce millions of years of death and bloodshed and, and animal death uh, into Genesis 1 that's really undermining the whole uh, doctrine of atonement and the, the sacrificial system of the, of the Jews uh, that paved the way for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It just makes, it just makes a havoc with, with what the Bible says about the gospel. So if an evangelist was out there talking to a non-believer who's very soft and wants to hear the gospel, and he talks about God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, down to this planet as a man, suffered and died a horrible death on that cross and was raised from the dead. In other words, he took our place on the cross, suffered the pain in our place. And then you asked me the question, why? Why did he have to do that? If I don't believe in a little six-day creation, do I really have an answer? No, because you have to say, well, God made the world this way. In other words, I just ruined my whole testimony, didn't I? You have. And the, the, the book where we get the gospel is the Bible. If we undermine the truth and the reliability and the authority of any part of the Bible, we're undermining its truth and authority all the way through. So that great verse, John 3.16, really doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless we believe the first three chapters of Genesis. That's right. And the person who said John 3.16 was the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he's not telling me the truth about Genesis, how do I know he's telling me the truth about anything else he said? Exactly. And that, first, and that person, John 3.16, is the creator. Yeah. When it says, in the beginning God created heaven and the earth, that is proof right there of God's existence. That's right. And that was Jesus Christ. So if we want to preach about Jesus, we've got to start Genesis 1.1. Yeah. Then how does the last book of the Bible start? Well, the last book of the Bible starts with uh, God appearing to uh, Jesus yes. appearing to yes. John. The revelation and, of Jesus Christ. That's right. So the first book is about him, and the last book is about him, and everything in between is about him. That's right. And he has to be, we have to recognize him as creator and the one against whom we have sinned before it'll make any sense that he's the Savior and, uh, and the Lord. So um, it's a lot of Christians don't understand how foundational this is. And, you know, another thing I would point out on this is when we look at things historically, a lot of uh, Christians who are compromised with the millions of years and they're telling the church, we need to accept the millions of years. There's no conflict here with the Bible. And we can even accept evolution. And they will say, you know, if you, if you insist on people believing in, in six-day young earth creation, you're going to turn people away from the gospel. Well, Mike, what we found in, in all the countries that we've uh, spoken in is exactly the opposite. There are many, many people who once they, they see some of the fallacies of evolution in millions of years, they're open to the gospel. Right. That was the barrier. And conversely, what's happened in Western Europe, Great Britain, and North America over the last 200 years? Uh, countries that were powerfully impacted by the gospel 
Over the last 200 years, we've seen the church go downhill. Liberal theology has invaded the church, and the church has become weaker. In fact, uh, Western Europe is, is the hardest mission field in the world. Um, the church in Great Britain at the end of the, of the Second World War, about 45% of British people went to church every Sunday. Now it's down to about 5%. Wow. 60% of British teenagers a few years ago in a national survey indicated that they don't even believe in the existence of God. And, and the same things happening, the same trends are happening in the United States. So during those last 200 years when most of the church has said, the age of the earth doesn't matter, we can accept evolution, we've seen not the, the, the people of Western Europe and North America become more open to the gospel, more believing, they've become more resistant, and we've seen the church abandon the gospel, reinterpret the gospel as just being a good person. Uh, and, and so it's caused incredible devastation. The world has influenced the church. The church has lost its effectiveness out there. And it's now become man's word versus God's word in many churches. That's exactly right. Satan is alive and well, isn't he? He sure is. You know, in the Garden of Eden, he, he, how, did he, how did he get Adam and Eve? Well, he came to Eve and he said, Has God said... He put a doubt in her mind. He got her thinking and confused, and in her reply, she misstated what God said. And once he got her doubting and confused, then he went for the kill. Yes. And he said, God's lying to you. You can't trust God. And I, I've observed, Mike, that, uh, that that worked so well on Eve that Satan has been using that strategy ever since. Get people to doubt God's word, deny God's word, and I've observed one other thing, and that is that Satan is not particular about who he uses. And he'll even use Christian leaders to get Christians to doubt or deny God's word. We see that a lot in some of our Christian universities, train the next generation to doubt God's word. Yep. Well, we have a, a real crisis today in Christianity. It's kind of where we started. And, uh, and that's where ancient Genesis comes in. That They're out there fighting the good fight, trying to get this out to as many people as possible. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, maybe have you come to your, their, their church, how would they do that? Um, they could call Answers in Genesis, uh, or they can go to our website, answersingenesis.org, and uh, up on the top toolbar, there's a, a button where you can click on an event, mm -hmm. and you can actually fill out a form requesting a speaker right, right on our website. And Dr. Terry Mortensen from Answers in Genesis, uh, I love your passion for this. So if you want a passionate speaker out there who is knowledgeable on this subject, go to the Answers in Genesis website and request Dr. Terry Mortensen, and he can speak to all levels, even the little bitty ones, can't yeah. you? I, I, I have the best time with the little kids. The teenagers are the challenge. They're pretty scary, though, aren't they? Because you don't know what they're going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're always raising their hand. and yeah, so. But it's fun to talk to them. Well, I want to thank you very, very much for watching this show. And it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, Terry. And uh, keep up the good work and the good fight. And as it says, let's run the race to the finish. Thank you, and God bless all of you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith 
and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Thank you.